Turn your Bibles to the book of 1 Chronicles, 1 Chronicles chapter 4, 1 Chronicles chapter 4. As you know, the first nine chapters of 1 Chronicles are a list of names too hard to pronounce. But every once in a while, there's kind of like a piece of land where you can grasp hold of something. And this is one of those places. First Chronicles chapter 4, notice verses 9 and 10. And Jabez was more honorable than his brethren. And his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bear him with sorrow. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed, and enlarge my coast. And that thine hand might be with me, and that thou wouldst keep me from evil, that it, might, that it may not grieve me. And God granted him that which he requested. Praying for more. Let's ask God to bless us. Father, bless us tonight. Meet with us. Challenge our hearts. Challenge our hearts in our own prayer lives for our personal prayer lives, for our church prayer lives. Challenge our hearts tonight, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Back in 1975, Bruce Wilkinson wrote a book and published it on Jabez's prayer, and it fizzled. It went nowhere. 26 years later, it was republished, and it became a national hit. Now, some people have wondered why the book didn't sell at all the first time it came out. And the second time it came out, same book, second time it came out, it became a nation's bestseller that made all kinds of money for the author. And I think that the answer to that question has to do with over 25 years since his first writing, 25 years of the prosperity gospel being preached by people who said that God wants you healthy and wealthy and having everything that you want. He wants you happy. He wants you to know it to absolutely no bounds. Even today, you can not only get the book, but you can also get Jabez jewelry. Not that the jewelry has anything to do with Jabez, but nevertheless, you add the name to it, and some, suddenly it becomes a moneymaker. Not only that, there's other things that you can buy that are supposed to be connected with Jabez somehow. Uh, you would have thought, that the Lord Jesus would have said when the apostles came to him, when the disciples came to him and asked him, Lord, teach us to pray, that he would have said, go to Jabez's prayer and pray that. Of course, he didn't. Why didn't Jesus simply go to Jabez's prayer? Now, he did tell them, after this manner pray ye, and he gave what is commonly known as the Lord's Prayer, even though we know it's a prayer that the Lord never prayed himself because he would ever have any reason to say, Lord, forgive, us, forgive me my trespasses. Jesus had none. Amen. Jesus had always done that which was right. Jesus was perfectly sinless. Now, of course, Jesus never pointed to Jabez. Now, that doesn't mean his prayer is not important. It's recorded for us in the Scripture. And it's not recorded for us to simply repeat 
as some kind of formula for a special prayer. But it is something for us to learn about this man called Jabez and to learn about praying to the God of Israel as mentioned here in this passage. As a matter of fact, this is not a prayer for just anybody. It was Jabez's prayer. In other words, it's not necessarily a prayer for you today. But there are some challenges that you'll get from it, especially since it says in verse 10, and God granted him that which he requested. This is a prayer that was requested by the Lord, by the way, in the book on Jabez's prayer. You have to read over 70 pages into the book before you read the name Jesus. And you read the book. It is not about you got to get saved if you want to get your answers to prayer. You pray Jabez's prayer and you'll see some great things take place. No, I'm sorry, it doesn't work like that. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. This is a prayer of a saved man. This is a prayer of a man who knew God and got an answer from God when he prayed this special prayer. As I said this morning in John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There are a lot of lost people that pray and that pray every day. And they're as sincere as can be, but they're lost. They haven't taken Jesus Christ as their Savior. And the truth is their prayers go no higher than the sound of their voice. And that is not going to change until they come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. By the way, not also not just anybody can pray this prayer as far as answers are concerned. For the Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. This is not going to override the clear truth that if you're walking in sin, you can expect the chastisement of God, but not the answer of prayer from God. And it's important that we understand that. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, neither is ear heavy that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sin has hid his face from you. So we come to this little prayer, and we want to look at some of these principles. Now set in the context of the genealogies of several different families on chapters 1 through 9. And we have a tendency when we get to them to want to just hurry up and let our eyes scan and get through these nine chapters because there are a lot of people mentioned this is the only time they're even mentioned in the Scripture. There are a number of people who have names that are difficult to pronounce and you're not going to remember it anyway. But let me just remind you, since it is in the Scripture, it is important. Because it is God's word. But not only that, if you don't slow down, if you just allow your eyes to just scan over the list of names, you're going to miss some very important things. Like, for instance, you read about this person named Zeruiah in 1 Chronicles chapter 2 and verse 16. Now, this happens to be a female, Zeruiah. Zeruiah... According, you remember David many times in speaking of Joab and Asahel and Abishai, several times he says, O you sons of Zeruiah. Zeruiah was David's sister. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 2 and verse 16, 
it is revealed that she is the sister of David. And you may have wondered why David can never fully get rid of Joab. Because that was her sis- his sister's boy. And he would have had to deal with family to get rid of Joab. It's why Joab and Asahel and Abishai had a special place in the life of David because of that relationship. Now, in the middle of all these names, we come to this kind of oasis. It's the only time that Jabez is mentioned. And the name Jabez literally means sorrow or even grieving. Even with a name like that, to be more honorable than his brethren, it means he had to overcome something. Some of you remember several years ago, one of Johnny Cash's favorite hits, most famous hits, was A Boy Named Sue. And the whole part about the song is boys shouldn't be named Sue because people are going to make fun of you. And, of course, Johnny Cash made mention in the song that he grew up tough and fighting because if you're named Sue, you're going to have to fight. That's all there is to it. Now, a female can get away with being named Sue, but a boy, as a matter of fact, I remember I had, there was a man that married my grandma, Crick, and uh, his name was Susie, and that had to be a tough thing for him as well. But anyway, that's beside the point. Uh, but he had to overcome some things. Let me stop right here for just a moment. You had it tough in life. You had a tough situation. Everybody has to overcome some things. That's life. That's part of life. That's not something you're to sit around and cry about and whine about all your life. Oh, I had it tough. Everybody had it tough. It's been that way since the fall of man. So grow up, become a useful human being, and make your life count for something instead of whining about the fact that everything wasn't like you would have liked it to have been. I think most everybody can say they've had some hard times in life, some injustices done to them. Jesus said it is impossible, but what offenses will come. You can count on it. Now, that was extra. That was free. So here's a man who had sorrow, but then with what he made of his life, he ended up with great joy. To a great extent, we must sow in tears before we can reap in joy. Bible says of Jesus in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and it sat down at the right hand of God. Famous preacher once said, many of our works for Christ have cost us tears. Difficulties and disappointments have wrung our soul with anguish. And yet those projects that have cost us more than ordinary sorrow have often turned out to be the most honorable of all of our undertakings. And that's true. If it is worth doing, it's worth doing right. It's worth suffering the sorrow. Now, the question is asked, how was he more honorable than his brethren? I'm not really sure that this verse gives us the reason. Could be that he was more honorable because of his prayer, because he could pray and be heard of God and get answers. It could be because of his piety. It could be that he was considered more honorable than his brethren because of his possessions. For after all, the Lord did answer his request. The truth is, the most important thing I can do is pray. Somebody said for Israel that when Israel needed a hero, Daniel went to his knees. Same way with Ezra. When Israel needed a hero, Ezra went to his knees. 
we're having some special prayer times as we enter 2023. Why? We need to pray. Say, the world is such a mess. That's why we need to pray. We're living in it. It's hard to discern what's the right thing to do from time to time. What are the best moves to make? What are the decisions? What should we be doing this, uh, during this time? Should we be hiding in a corner and covering our head with a blanket and crying out? Or should we simply get a hold of God in prayer? This man went to God in prayer. This man known as sorrow. In 1 Chronicles chapter 2 and verse 55 The scripture tells us that there was a city by the name of Jabez where the scribes dwelt. Now, perhaps, just perhaps, we don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us, but it is possible that that city was named for him, considering what we have here in 1 Chronicles chapter 4. Someone said, if you can explain, if you can explain what is going on naturally, God's not doing it. Someone else said that there is more I can do after I pray, but there is no more I can do until I pray. So what did he pray? Why would God put this in the scripture concerning this man called Jabez that we learn nothing else about throughout the remainder of the word of God? We want to examine that today. First, he prayed for privilege. Notice in verse 10. And Jabez called on on the God of Israel saying, Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed. Now he called on the God of Israel, but in this particular prayer, he is not praying for Israel. He's praying, praying for himself. That thou wouldest bless me indeed. You know, it's all right to pray some things for yourself. Bible says, and everything by prayer and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Philippians chapter 2, or chapter 4 and verse 6. It is all right to pray for yourself. As a matter of fact, go back to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. Now, if all you're doing is praying for yourself, you've got a problem. But it is okay to pray for yourself. In Mark chapter 11, notice beginning in verse 22. And Jesus answering saith unto them, have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire... When ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. Now, that's a powerful promise right there. That you can call on God for things, and God does want to answer. But understand this, and God can answer. He's all-powerful. Is anything too hard for the Lord? But understand this. We are not here to enrich ourselves. We are here... To glorify God. Anybody here ever said, God, would you bless me today? I have. Am I the only one that has? Anybody else done that? Anybody else, God bless me today? Well, for those of you who haven't, you ought to try it. (laughs) Say, God bless me today. Not that hard. Now, if you don't know him as Savior, then you're wasting your time. The blessing you need is to get born again, to have your sins forgiven, to have eternal life. And you get that by turning to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's first. But nothing wrong. We need a blessing once in a while. 
Lord, bless me today. Hey, what about if you ask him to bless you and you let him take care of what the blessing is? Most my people's idea of a blessing is winning the Reader's Digest sweepstakes. Or what is that thing where they knock on your door? Uh, Publisher's Clearing House. I never won that. I think it's because God knew he couldn't trust me with it. Amen. That's okay. You know, the writer of Proverbs, he prayed like that. He didn't want God to make him so rich that he might forget God and curse God. And he didn't want to be made so poor that then he would, he would sin against God. Uh, listen, that's a good way to pray. Know your weaknesses, know your strengths and pray. But he says, Lord, bless me. David wrote, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute iniquity. That's a great blessing right there. The blessings of men are so temporal, but think about the blessings of God. Jacob, in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, wrestled with God all night. And when it got near morning, God said, let me go. He said, I'll not let you go until you bless me. Now, what did God do to bless Jacob? Changed his name from Jacob, which meant supplanter, trickster, Changed his name from Jacob to Israel, prince with God. And then he touched his thigh and he had to limp the rest of his life. Hey, would you like that kind of blessing where you'd have to limp the rest of your life? Think about that. Not what? I wouldn't ask for it. You wouldn't ask for it. Well, there you go. Sad thing is, unfortunately, is the new name didn't change Jacob. He was still a trickster and a supplanter. And he's called Jacob several times thereafter. But uh, most people think of blessing as being money or health. In Jacob's case, it was kind of a lack of health to have to limp all the rest of his life. But people would be reminded when he changed his name to Israel, this man's supposed to be a prince with God. Let me just say to you, if you're born again, you're supposed to be a child of God. You ought to look like it. You ought to act like it. You ought to talk like it. You're a child of God. You would think if God saved you, you'd want to please him. You'd want to glorify him. You'd want to exalt him with your life. That's the way we should be, which is why Paul writes, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. There are basically three characteristics of the blessings of God. Number one, it's from God for his glory. The Bible says, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Another characteristic of a blessing from God is to me, For my good, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Our first Thessalonians 5, 18, and everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So from God for his glory to me for my good or through me to bless others. Have you thought about the blessings of God being such so that you could be a blessing in turn to others. In other words, not just for my enjoyment or my fun, but so that I could be a blessing to someone else. I like this quote. I wish I'd come up with it, but it's not from me. It said, we are never called to be reservoirs. We are called to be channels. We're never called to simply get from God and keep it. 
We are called to get from God and to give. To be channels of the blessing of God. So first he prayed for God's blessing. And then he prayed for prosperity. He says this, and enlarge my coast. Some people are harried because they think they have too many irons in the fire. And then some people pray for a bigger fire. Amazing how many fires or how many irons you can put in a bigger fire. What about praying for big? No, see, Americans today, they want to play too much. Americans today simply want more time and more things so they can play because they think that will bring fulfillment to their life. They need more time at the beach. They need more time at the amusement parks. They want less time at work. Oh, give me a four-day work week. Why? Because I, I want to play. And I need enough money coming in. Government, make sure I get enough money coming in so that I can play. Man, that's not the way our grandparents were. Our grandparents worked to live. They didn't work to play. They didn't have money to play. They worked so they could put food on the table and eat. That's what they did. They were people of character, not like the spoiled brats we have today. They think everything is about them and everything is about their enjoyment. Understand that this prosperity, this prosperity, enlarge my coast, requires more of us. Because to whom much is given, much shall be required. So you better be careful what you pray. Back in 1994, I came here. Church was, uh, let's see, five. I came here. I started on the sixth anniversary of Madison Baptist Church. That was my first Sunday at Madison Baptist Church. And... um, When I came, the church had been running the last several months. Of course, you go a few months without a pastor. Some people stop coming and wait to see, wait for the church to call a pastor. Uh, The first five weeks, I'm sorry, the first 10 weeks that I was here, we ran about 150, which is about what the church was running when uh, when Brother Stark uh, left to go as a missionary, surrendered to go to the mission field and went out on deputation. and we grew. We grew up to about 190 the next year. The next year we were over 200, 210, something like that. Next year we grew to about 250, 260. After about four years, a little over four years, we were running right at about 300. And for those of you who know that little building that we were in over there on Hughes Road, we were packed. The air conditioning could not keep up with the heat in the summertime. And on Sunday night, it would be 85 degrees inside the auditorium with the air conditioning running full blast. We tried a number of things to help out. By the way, since it was facing to the west, the doors, the front doors and the bricks on the front were super hot from the sun beating on it all day. But we, had, we went about a year. We got up to 300 and we were running 300 regularly, but we weren't growing anymore. For five, for five years, we had grown every year, and we were seeing the blessings of God. Now, we weren't growing astronomically. We weren't a mega church or anything like that, but we were growing consistently and seeing people saved and baptized, seeing good things happen, in spite of the fact 
that a number of our people surrendered during that time to go as missionaries. So that means God replaced them here. Uh, It was good. But since we had gotten to the place where we weren't, weren't growing, I decided that as a staff, and there were four of us on staff at that time, that we would have a, a, just a mini staff retreat. And we went out here to Lucy's Branch. I think they had a, a couple cabins out there, small little things. And uh, we decided we were going to meet and pray. The youth pastor, Brother Nicholson, who was the song leader at that time, Brother Borf, uh, we went out there and we prayed. We prayed together. We prayed separately. We'd sit down and we'd have planning meetings for the next year. And we did that for a couple of days, just seeking the Lord, getting alone with God, then sitting down, writing ideas down, and we did a plan for the whole next year and all of that. And boy, if God didn't just bust that thing open, and suddenly that next year we saw the growth continue on. I mean, church growth people said that once you reach 80% of your church, of the capacity of the building, you're not going to grow beyond that. Well, we did. We were already over 80%. 80%. Matter of fact, we were pretty much a full 100%, but uh, we grew even more that next year. Why? We prayed. We sought the Lord. We asked for his, his blessing. We asked for his enlargement. Within two years, we were up to running 400. Within two years of that time. So, and we were still in that building over there. We didn't have all this room that we have here. Some of you remember that only about, we had about 80 parking spaces that were paved and we had more than 80 cars that were coming and a lot of people had to park out in the grass, which wasn't so bad unless it rained. And if it rained, then they parked in the mud. And that's just the way it was. God can overcome all of that. And we saw God overcome all that. And then we prayed for more laborers and we prayed for more missionaries our financial responsibility expanded because of the missionaries that we were sending out from Madison Baptist Church. Why? Because we prayed. We asked God to do something knowing that it would mean more work, but more work is not bad. It's good. It gives you a purpose to life. I doubt that anybody in heaven is going to be talking about what wonderful vacations they had. It's not going to be about the vacations. The judgment seat of Christ is not going to be about the good times that we had. It's going to be what we did for the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not saying it's wrong to take a vacation. Taking vacation can be fine. Unfortunately, we live for that. Instead of living for serving the Lord. Living for doing something that counts for eternity. For there being a reason for us to even be taking up space on this planet. Here we've got a great building. We've got a great congregation. But that gives us a great responsibility. Now let me ask you a question. Just think. Madison Baptist Church. Think with me. Do you think that we are responsible to do more or less than what we did back then? I think it's pretty obvious that we are to do more for the Lord. Not less. Now is not the time to take our ease in Zion and just enjoy the padded pews and the carpeting and the central heat and air that could freeze us out of here if we set it low enough. No matter how big the crowd would be. Our job is to do more. And listen, back then when I first moved here, I think that there were about 13,000 people in Madison. And... 
Matter of fact, on Hughes Road, when I came here, you had a stoplight down on Jeff Road, or Sauter Road, and a stoplight at Wall Triana. And then you had, there wasn't, uh, the, well, there was a stoplight at County Line Road. There wasn't anything at Burgreen. As a matter of fact, you had to go all the way to East Limestone for the next light. And after that light, then you had to go to, uh, Mooresville Road had a light. There were only about four lights between Madison and Athens at that time. We got thousands of people around here. God's given us wonderful facilities. And the reality is, it's not so we can just sit and take our ease at Zion. It's so that we can do more for him than we've ever done before. Too many people want the bounty so that they can take it easy. Ease comes when we get to heaven. Then there's the power of it. A power or enablement that he prays for. Notice he says, Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed and enlarge my coast and that thine hand might be with me. That's power. That thine hand be with me. The hand of God is mentioned 157 times in the scripture. The hand of the Lord is mentioned 38 times in the scripture. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 66, the Bible says of John the Baptist, and the hand of the Lord was upon John. In Acts chapter 11 and verse 21, the scripture says the hand of the Lord was upon the church. In the Old Testament, the hand of the Lord usually was found in connection with judgment. But we find also that the hand of the Lord was upon Elijah for power. And he prayed fire down from heaven. By the way, Jabez's prayer. Let me just get back to this a second because it just hit me when I mentioned Elijah. That, you know, nowhere in the scripture are we told to pray fire down from heaven. We're never told to do that. Matter of fact, the disciples tried to pray that in Luke chapter 9. And Jesus rebuked them for it. He said, you know not what spirit you're of. And again, the scripture doesn't tell us to pray Jabez's prayer, but it ought to give us some incentive to ask God to do some marvelous things. In 1 Chronicles 21, 13, the Bible says, And David said unto God, I am in a great strait. Let me fall now into the hand of the Lord, for very great are his mercies, and let me not fall into the hand of man. Because the hand of man will do evil to the children of God. Ezra 7, 6, this Ezra went up from Babylon... And he was a ready scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. And the king granted him all his requests according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. In Ezra 7, 28, And hath extended mercy unto me before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty princes. And I was strengthened as the hand of the Lord my God was upon me. And I gathered together out of Israel chief men to go up with me. When Moses was praying, talking to the Lord up on the mount, and God was telling him to lead the children of Israel, and he said to the Lord, he said, except thou go, uh, except thy present go with us, I don't want to go. I paraphrased, obviously. In God's work, whether it's witnessing, teaching, ushering, singing, exhorting, nursery work, we need him. We need his hand upon us. None of us are so smart or such quick talkers that we are good enough in ourselves to do the work of God 
acceptably. It has to be done through his might, through his power. And I do believe our Lord would like to do it again. But he's not going to bless us so we can simply take it easy. We want him to enlarge our coast. When I think of all the different churches that are around the world just started out of missionaries out of Madison Baptist Church. You know, there aren't many churches that can say that, but God didn't do that for us simply so we could say, my, we've started a lot of churches all over the world. That's not the purpose of it. That's not what it's about. I mean, it does create a number of responsibilities for us as a church to make sure that they are taken care of properly and to be what those churches may need as well. If we want God to enlarge our work even more, it requires more of us, especially in seeking him and having his hand upon us. So he prayed for privilege, bless me, prosperity, enlarge my coast, and for power. And then he prays for protection. Now, this is really fascinating to me. Notice he said, and that thou wouldest keep me from evil. It sounds a little bit like the Lord's prayer right there, doesn't it? Keep me from evil or the evil one, that thou wouldst keep me from evil. But here is the thing that puts a question mark here for me. Because then he says that it might, uh, that it may not grieve me. Other weeks, that seems a little strange. I would think that the right thing to have said would have been, Lord, uh, protect me from evil, or that thou wouldest keep me from evil, that it might not grieve thee. Now, how would we explain that? Because doesn't that really sound a little self-serving? Now, it's interesting that the Lord's sample prayer, lead us not into temptation, is given there. But it really is that it not grieve him. Sin truly grieves the Lord. But now, wait a second. It also grieves the one who sins. Go over to the book of uh, Psalm, Psalm 38. Psalm 38. In Psalm 38, in the first eight verses, David is praying, and this, of course, is after his sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah the Hittite. O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. For thine arrows stick fast in me, and thy hand presseth me sore. There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger. Neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. For mine iniquities are gone over mine head as an heavy burden. They're too heavy for me. My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. For my loins are filled with a loathsome disease and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and sore broken. I have roared by reason of the disquietness of my heart. I would say that David was grieved 
with his sin, with the result of his sin. I tell you what, you get into sin, you miss that closeness with the Lord. In his prayer of repentance in Psalm 51, he declares, Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. You see, you live in sin, you disobey God's word, and you, can, and you live in joy with that. It makes me wonder whether or not you even belong to God. Because God chastens every son that he receiveth. If he be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Over and over again, we can listen to defeated men and women who did a work for God and now must carry on with the marks of their sin. So yes, there's a point at which I can say, I can see where he would pray, uh, and Lord, keep me from evil that it may not grieve me because for the child of God it's got to truly grieve you when you've sinned against him so it would grieve him from a guilt with a guilty conscience it would grieve him with a loss of power it could grieve him with public shame in first kings chapter 18 Elijah rebuked the people how long halt ye between two opinions If Baal be God, serve him. If the Lord be God, serve him. What a great stand. What a great public stand. But then in chapter 19, it begins with Jezebel saying that tomorrow Elijah is going to be like those prophets he killed. And he took off running like a coward. When he finally stops running and gets to the place where God meets him, he basically says, Lord, I'm no better than my father's. I'm not fit to live. He doesn't seem nearly as high and mighty as what he did in 1 Kings chapter 18. I would say his sin of running against Jezebel grieved him. There is a grief that comes along with sin. You look at King Saul in 1 Samuel 15 as he gets the kingdom taken from him. Samuel said, when thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed the king over Israel. But now because he was high in his own sight, God takes the kingdom away from him. And it truly grieved him as he fell down before Samuel crying. Now here's the good part. He asked the Lord to bless him. The Lord did it. He enlarged. He asked for his coast to be enlarged. The Lord did it. His hand was upon him. That's what he asked for. God did it. He asked God to keep him from evil. And God did it. And it says right here, And God granted him that which he requested. Could we, although we don't have to repeat the words, we don't believe in formulas, but could we as a people get alone with God and say, Lord, would you bless us this year? And Lord, I know we got a lot going on, but Lord, would you enlarge our coast? Would you give us more ministries that we're responsible for? Would you allow us to reach more people groups? You know, we've got a thriving Spanish ministry. But I got news for you. There are people from other parts of the world in this area as well that also could use the gospel in their language. Well, what what about God providing a ministry like that? Or other places we could have ministries. 
Lord, enlarge our coast. We realize that means more responsibility. More of us are going to have to be busy. More of us are going to have to be apart. But Lord, we're here to serve you. We're here to pass on what you've given us to reach others for the glorious gospel of Christ. And Lord, may your hand be upon us for power. And please, Lord, keep us from evil. Now, I have not prayed Jabez's prayer exactly like it says it. never tells us to. But I have asked him to bless me. I have asked him to enlarge my coast, maybe in different words, and I've seen God do it. I've seen God do some powerful and wonderful things. There's no doubt his power has been upon this ministry a number of times. I can still remember Pastor Davis, assistant pastor when I came here, used to be Brother Tony's pastor when Tony was a young man. And uh, Pastor Davis would pray, Lord, protect us from those that would come in and do harm to the church. He'd pray that every morning when we'd meet to pray together. Lord, please protect us. And God has been so wonderful throughout all these years. A prayer for the blessing of God for serving God, for an enlarged coast, for more ministries, for His power, for His might, and that God would keep us from sin. Father, I do pray that you'll challenge our hearts today. May our folks meditate upon what Jabez went through, and you granted his request. May we be as pleasing to you as he was, and see you use us more than ever in the 40-year history of this church. Have your way in our lives tonight, I pray. In Jesus' name.